and welcome back to Spine Chillers and Serial Killers. I'm Becky. And I'm Emma. And it's just us again. Yes. Just the two of us. That was not the tune for that song. We can podcast if we try. (laughs) Just the two of us. Oh, I, I. (laughs) (laughs) You and I, I. that's the one. Oh, oh, I, I. Yes. (laughs) Uh, no, I think Tasha's wearing our holly bobs, isn't she? Yeah, holly bobs this week. Lovely. I wish her good weather and a good time. Indeed. Mm-hmm. And we've got to remember how to do this from a week off, because I, I don't know, it's only been a week, but I feel like... It feels like ages. Yeah, I feel like I've forgotten how to do it. I couldn't, because despite starting the story that I've got later a while ago, I only finished it today. <laughs> I'd mostly done all of it. I'd say to kind of like end things off. Uh, but I completely, I was like, what do I do? I couldn't really remember what to do <laughs> and where I was going with the story and stuff. So I hope it's not too, you know, too light. You can see a breaking. <laughs> and this is where Becky's brain stopped working. <laughs> yeah. Someone come and come in and do a little voiceover at that part. Yeah, no, it's so frustrating because I could have used that free time to like get two or three stories ahead. Did I? No, I did not. No, no. That's what I thought as well. I was like, I've started a story. I can start another one and uh, finish mine off. And this was like last week. And I was like, I can do this, get it all organized. Be like other podcasters who've like got their things all like a month in advance. No, not us. Week to week, baby. (laughs) We like. Living dangerously. Yeah, living on the edge. The edge is lived on. It is. It is extremely closely at the minute. <laughs> hanging on by the bloody fingertips. Okay, listener stuff. So the horror song from last week, which seems like about five years ago, was Whitney Houston, I Want to Dance with Somebody. I want to dance with somebody. Yep, that's the one. That one. Yeah. Tash isn't here to sing, so... She's probably missing her moment, because she loves a bit of Whitney. Oh, she loves Whitney. Ah. Did I hope I did you... Um, What's the word? Proud? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Weird that, that that word doesn't come to me quickly. <laughs> <sighs> so I got Carabeth. Well done, Carabeth. Nicole. Bravo, Nicole. Stacy, bravo, madame. And Ruth, who well, is not hacking our computers. She actually messaged me and she said uh, she actually really loved our torture episode about the Tower of London. Yeah. And David Parker Ray. Is that what he was called? The toy box killer? Yeah, that's the one. What an absolute piece of shit absolute dick splash of a man she said she did enjoy that episode but not to worry because charlie could not hack a computer because he has a pirate hook for a hand ah so you're safe yeah yeah i imagine that uh, hooks and keyboards don't mix very well no i can't imagine he's very quick on the old keyboard yeah either that or he'd get a bit angry and flick a few keys off by accident (laughs) probably not the best piano player either no do you remember last week? No, mm. last episode. Yeah, 
we were talking about that poor lady whose execution got absolutely botched and she ran away and she got hacked at and stuff. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. Uh, And we were saying that when they miss or when somebody doesn't die as planned, then they should get away with it kind of thing. And I was like, oh, I'm sure that was a law at some point that if the execution didn't work, then they were pardoned. And we didn't really know. But we have a listener who does know. Carabeth messaged me and she said about the hanging. If you didn't die within a certain amount of time, then it was considered that God forgave you. And a lot of people survived with a lot of brain damage from the lack of oxygen. But they survived. And that's when they changed the law to be hanged by the neck until you're dead. Yeah. So before that, if you didn't die, you got away with it, but you were severely handicapped. Yeah. And then they eventually changed it to... Until you're dead. Until you're dead. And then didn't they... You know when they did it, so they calculated it so that your neck broke when you fell? Oh, I don't know. That was a bit later on, maybe. They kind of... It takes a while, actually, to be strangled to death. It's not quite instant as it can be, like, on telly. Apart from when the hero's being hanged and has to be saved by a rogue arrow from the crowd. (laughs) Are you thinking about Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves? Because that's exactly (laughs) what I'm thinking of. (laughs) Yes! But they're all hanging and taking ages, and then there's Kevin Costner with his bow and arrow going to save them all. Yeah, and he managed to save them all like at once. Yeah, yeah. I love that film, and Alan Rickman's the bad guy. (laughs) Oh, Alan Rickman, rest in peace. What a guy. Yeah, me and my sister do like that film, and we um we always quote each other from that movie. Like we'll um I can't think of anything that from the movie now. (laughs) Oh, when the Sheriff of Nottingham's got Robin Hood and he's like, I'm going to cut your heart out with a spoon. Oh, you know what I'm saying? (laughs) I'm going to cut your heart out with a spoon. And then uh, when the friar's singing and he sings a little song and he's like, play the music, dance the day. (laughs) And uh, epic soundtrack to Prince of Thieves. Uh, Everything I do. Everything, yeah, it is. Oh. Uh, they loved that in France in the uh, in the discotheques. That was always one of the last songs of the night, so you can have a nice slow down, slow dance with the bow of the evening. <laughs> Very sweaty, sweaty guy. <laughs> oh. oh, and we got a review. We got a review. Hang on, we got a five star review on Apple Podcasts. It was just a short one, but it was a lovely one nonetheless. It said, so good, five stars. This will definitely be a new addition to my normal rotation, amazing show. And that was by Charlie6677. So thank you so much, Charlie. Yes, thank you so much. Does make our days, our weeks when we get a a review. So thank you so much for taking the time to to send us one. It does indeed. Um, Ruth apparently left us a review also, but... I don't get notified when we get reviews and I can't generally see our reviews because you can only see the reviews in the country that you're in. So I'd have to go like through the entire list of each country to see who leaves us reviews or not. So if you've left us a review and it's been missed, that's why. It's a bit of a weird thing. You'd think they'd send you a notification, but they don't. Yeah. No, you'd think that they would, but yeah, well, I thought they did. 
<laughs> no, they didn't. It's literally me going through random countries and finding reviews. Oh. Oh, don't be sad. It, it's okay. <laughs> Just thinking there's, there might be a country out there that we might not check very often, maybe a little island, maybe Fiji, and we might have loads of fans from there, but we don't see the reviews. I do see the location, and I don't think I've seen Fiji. Ah. Uh, there has been some random spots. Um, none that come to mind now, but no, F- not Fiji. So if you know someone from Fiji, just talk to them about our podcast, eh? Yeah. And if they fancy, I don't know, doing a house swap, <laughs> come to France. I'll go there. <laughs> come to France, look at some cows and eat baguettes. Look at our chateaus. Only some of them are haunted. Yeah. And we've got herons, the white ones. <laughs> You've got herons. <laughs> oh. Right, have you got an email for us? Yes, I do. This email starts, Hi, my name is Shalanda. I'm 35 years old and I live in Western Kentucky. Hello, Shalanda. So in the area near the Columbus Belmont State Park, there was a civil war fought here as well as being part of the Trail of Tears. There's lots of stories and experiences in this area. My mother's side of the family had witnessed many things. That's one of our family traditions, to sit around and talk ghost stories during the holidays. I love this family already, and I want to be their friends. Yes. Anyway, this is about my childhood experiences. I lived in an apartment complex from birth to about 12 years old. This apartment complex was surrounded by a cemetery. Well, not completely, but right in front and it wrapped along the side. The two are separated by a single lane road between their apartment building and the cemetery. So you can picture that. I can picture that. Yep. My mum lived in a single bedroom apartment when I was first born. She would tell me stories about when I was a toddler and I'd ask about the shadows of a man on the wall. Oh, kids, see? Kids, they know. My mum saw it too. Oh, okay. She'd go touch the wall to reassure me to not be afraid, although she was, in fact, terrified. Well done, Oh, no. Yes, (laughs) I have been there, been there, done that. Got the T-shirt. Yeah. Brave on the outside, shitting myself on the inside. That's me every day (laughs) in any situation. Doctor's appointment, brave on the outside, shitting on the inside. (laughs) Anything. So... Later on, when I was almost five, we moved into a two-bedroom apartment in the same complex. My mum was expecting my younger brother by then. In this apartment, I had my own room, and this is when April makes her appearance. Oh, April's not going to be good, is she? We'll see. April was a white little girl with light brown hair. She had bangs and shoulder-length hair. She wore a white dress and had a cornflower blue headband. She lived... Oh, my fucking God. She lived in my closet and would tell me things. No, I don't like any of it. I mean, I do, but but I don't. Yes. That needs to be a teacher. I don't like it. I do, but I don't. (laughs) (laughs) You all know what I mean. Yeah, we know. Um, She would tell me things. Futuristic things. Oh, April. Mm. She knew my brother was a boy before my mum knew. And she knew that soon I would be very sad and came to play with me to to make me happy. Okay, so April sounds cool. Yeah, so far. So good. 
apart from the ghost bit, you know. And the living in the closet. I just live somewhere else, not under the bed either. No, no. But closets and beds are creepy and also really yeah. overdone. I think she should be more original. <laughs> I'm only joking. April, don't don't haunt me. <laughs> my father left our family during that time. We would play when my mum would have company over. The people that were over would often think there were two kids in my room. And my mum would say, no, that's just how she plays. My mum had never ever seen April. So I can kind of imagine that as people are just kind of sat in the living room and almost can hear two different voices coming from the bedroom and running around. How scary. That's pretty scary. Actually, no, she's on her own in there. You can just hear two different voices. I don't know if that makes it worse. I don't know if I prefer it. Like, yeah, my kid's got a ghost friend or my kid is just putting on two different voices and talking to herself. I don't know what I prefer. She didn't mention voices here, but that's just how I assume that, unless they were making, like, banging around, making loads of noise. That's what's happening in my head. There are two different voices. Yeah, same here. So when people thought there was two different kids playing in my room, my mum would just say, that's just how she plays. One day, when I was about eight and a half or nine, April came to me sobbing. Oh, dear. Yeah, saying that we would be moving and that she couldn't come with me. I told my mum and she was kind of startled because she had just put in for a three-bedroom apartment. A few weeks later, we got approved and a month later, we started moving. The three-bedroom apartments were very different from the single and double-roomed apartments. They were in a two-storey style and there were four apartments together. The three-bedroom apartment had a front door and a back door and the back door faced the cemetery. It felt way different going into this apartment. And I was given my own room again, and so had my brother. But he didn't sleep in there. He slept with my mum. The very first night in my room, I had an old floor model TV, like in the wooden case. Do you remember those? Like where you'd open the the little doors to get to the telly. Yeah, 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 yeah. (laughs) They would use the cabinet as a desk when they weren't watching the telly. The closet was on the same wall as the door to get in and out of the room. Yep. But by the door on the other wall was where the TV and her bed were, so they were up against the wall. Okay. I could see straight down the hallway from her bed. Don't like that. Yeah, I don't really like that either. (laughs) Um, My mum took me in and left the closet light on. That night, I remember being woken up by a man telling me to get up. Nope. Nope. No ghost and no real man. None of those are good. I groggily got up and let him lay down. Oh? I ended up climbing on the TV and sleeping there. What? The one thing... Well, kids and sleep. You just kind of sleep anywhere. The one thing I remember most after the event was the fact that the closet light had been turned off. Flash forward to the morning and my mum came to wake me up and there I was on top of the TV, like some sort of cat. (laughs) I told her what had happened and she told me that it was probably a dream. Uh Later on, when I was around 10 years old, I got a bigger bed. It was white with a metal railing and I moved it from where my other bed was to the far corner with the foot of my bed pointing towards the closet. This sparked the beginning of my issues with night terrors. So she started having these intense night terrors that started me sleepwalking as well. Oh, no. 
My mum had to start putting locks on the doors to keep me from getting out at night. I'd wake up in the middle of the night and the closet light would either be off or more terrifyingly, it'd be on and there'd be a shadow under the accordion style door pacing back and forth. Yeah. Shuffling my clothes around in the closet. I miss April. Yeah, April was cool. On the nights where I slept, I would wake up with the light off. My back would always be facing outward and I could hear breathing by my ear. Fuck that. No. Isn't breathing fucking horrible? It's fucking worst. I began sleeping with my back to the wall. So she was, yeah, she'd woke up facing the wall with the back the other way and that's when she could hear the breathing. I began sleeping with my back to the wall with tons of stuffed animals in front of my face and along my bed. Yep. It would look like my bed was all made up. You know, she was just surrounded herself with her teddies. Yeah, yeah. I can't count the night nights I slept in terror of what was in the closet. Oh my god, poor, poor, poor child. Oh, horrible. One night I woke up and saw this man standing outside of my mum's room. Think of a static on the television, but in the form of a man. Ha! Huh. I have a problem with the sta- static on, on the television. It's it always freaked me out. And then the ring made it worse. Well, this is freaking me out because do you remember me telling you that my daughter said she saw a black and white person pacing at the end of our bed at night? And that's exactly how I pictured it in my head, like a staticky person. My night terrors are usually like like a shadow person. It looks like a silhouette. Whereas once when I was younger, I saw the static person just walking around outside my bedroom door. It's not cool. Um, No. Think of the static of a television, but in the form of a man. I saw his face looking at me, but I didn't move and I held my breath. He went into my mum's room and I cried the whole night. The next morning I told my mum everything because I hadn't told her any of it and I started sleeping in my mum's room. I slept there until I turned 12 and we moved into our house on the other side of town. I had nightmares still, but they weren't as intense as when we were living in that apartment complex. Flash forward about 20 plus years, my cousin lives in a three-bedroom unit in that same complex up the hill from where I lived. Her son, who was four at the time, woke her up in the middle of the night and told her to tell that man to leave me alone. He keeps tapping on my window. Fucking hell. I don't like it. She goes outside to look and doesn't see anyone there and her son is watching her out of the window. From the outside, she says, I can't see anyone. And that's when he says, yeah, there he is. He's right behind you. Oh, fuck no. And then she tells me about her waking up in the middle of the night, hearing footsteps and breathing, pictures falling off the walls. I haven't shared my stories with her yet. Is this just a coincidence or not? The biggest rumour about these apartments is that they were built on top of some of the graves, like something out of the poltergeist. They just moved the headstones, but no one can confirm it, though. And that's my childhood trauma. (sighs) Well, Shalanda, that is just horrific. Jesus. That's some uh, horrible things. And I would definitely say not coincidence and that she is probably right that they have been built on cemeteries. But funnily enough, I watched a documentary this week. I can't remember what it was called. 
and some guy was just digging around under his house. You know, in America, like they've got those uh, what are they crawl called? spacey things. Yeah, the crawl space under the house, and he was in there um, doing something, and he found a load of bones, and he called people to come and check it. And an archaeology team came out and excavated them. And they actually found children's bones and then adult bones. And they said, you've got to stop digging because your house was built on a cemetery and all they did was move the headstones. So your house is literally on hundreds of bodies and we can't keep coming out every time you find bones. So stop digging. So, yeah, I think it's highly plausible because that's what they did. They just moved the headstones. They didn't move the bodies. So that poor man's house is basically on the top of a kiddie cemetery. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, yeah. Well, not a kiddie cemetery, just a cemetery, yeah. Oh, but you said that there was a load of kid bones, so, yeah. Yes, but there were adult bones as well. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, God. Yeah. Fancy knowing that. Like, do you want to do a bit of garden? No, can't. No, can't, because I'll dig up someone's grandma again. Yeah, exactly. Thanks so much for that email, I think, but... I have started this podcast now terrified. Yeah, it's got us in the mood, hasn't it? Do you know what? It made me think, because you know I've had weird childhood stuff, and it was a friend of mine that said that apparently I'd said at school that every night an old woman and a soldier walked through my bedroom wall, and that's why I was so frightened all the time. And I cannot remember that. I don't have that memory. I think I must have blocked it out. But when you were talking about how she padded herself in bed, like with all her teddies and everything. I have, since living in that house when I was little, slept with the covers pulled right over my head, covering my face, and the only, like, gap is to breathe. Like, I've just got my mouth out of the covers, and that's how I sleep. To this day, I sleep like that. So that kind of just reinforces the fact that that happened because that's something I've done since I was a kid. Oh, I used to sleep like that when I had watched a horror film or something that scared me, but not all the time. Yeah, but if I was having that happen every night... Yeah, exactly. And I've got into the habit of doing that, and I t- still to this day, that's how I sleep. So, yeah. Whew. Yeah. Bringing back some childhood trauma there. Yeah, it is. Wow, that was amazing. That was an amazing story. I'm sorry I I sounded scared about April because April actually sounded pretty sound. Yeah, I couldn't, even though we, she described how April was dressed, I just couldn't stop thinking of April out of Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. I had expected her to wear like a yellow (laughs) bodysuit. But yeah, April was the coolest ghost. Yeah, April sounds good. Yeah. Other guy, not keen. No. And how terrifying to go through that as a kid. Because as a kid as well, you don't really know what's right, what's not right. Is this normal? You know, it's all... Anyway, thank you so much for the email. And now we shall cracketh oneth. Yeah. Right. So my story this week is long. So get ready, babes. Buckle up. I'm buckled. Get your listening ears on. They're on. Are they on? Well, I've just listened to that email, so yeah. Yeah, 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 you're doing well. (laughs) So, in February of 2012, two duct-taped camping coolers, the kind that you might take on a picnic, you know, those type of coolers. Yeah. 
arrived at Delta Cargo, a freight shipping warehouse on the northeast side of Detroit Metro Airport. The airline's ground crew tossed the coolers onto a pallet in a climate-controlled storage area, but as they did, the tape split and a reddish liquid splattered out. Oh, not body ooze. It's going to be body ooze. Bodily. Why did you say I didn't? Actually, the word ooze doesn't come into this. You've freaked me out because the word (laughs) ooze is horrible. (laughs) Yeah, but that's what it's doing, isn't it? Yeah. Side note, how long, this might just be me, but how long, be honest, did it take you to realise that duct tape isn't duct tape? Like until I just read it then. <laughs> I thought it was duct tape. Yeah, exactly. And I, I, I think I've known for a couple of years, but very few. Yeah, same, years. same. It's been a couple of years. I was an adult. Years. Yes. I think I may have had a child before I knew that duct tape was spelt like duct and not duck. Duck, yeah, me too. Yeah. So I was a fully functioning adult. Yes, yeah. Anyway. I'm glad we're in the same boat. (laughs) (laughs) Well, we both thought that the Tower of London was a tower. We did. And not like a castle thing. We're not doing ourselves any favours putting this out publicly, are we? No. (laughs) We're smart, honest. Nah, to be fair. No, let's just not. (laughs) Let's just just keep going. Ducks and tape, you know, logical. No, it's not. Makes no sense. No, it makes no sense, but everyone thinks it's duct tape. It sounds like it. Does everybody think it's duct tape? Write in, let us know. I'm sure Mr. Duct from Duct Tape Limited, Corporal, does not think it's called duct tape. He he knows it's called duct because he has his name on it. But everybody else in the planet thinks it's duck. Yeah. Right. Many people do, I'm sure. I'm sure some people would agree. I'm sure those who also work out northeast... Southwest with never, never eat shredded, shredded wheat. wheat. <laughs> <laughs> I got an email about that. <laughs> right, just to just agreeing. Hold on, uh, it was from Nicole, and she she's put the subject never eat shredded wheat. <laughs> and she was like, "Don't feel bad, my friend. My whole directional success, limited as it is, is built on this phrase. Yeah, it exists because it works." Stand strong. <laughs> so, so I will. And facing the right direction because I know which way to face. The thing is, I know never eat shredded wheat, but if you ask me where north is, I have no idea. Uh, you need a compass for that. You can't, You just don't. It's not, it's not something that you just know. But you people do. People do. People are like, oh, it's south facing or north facing. I'm like, how the fuck do you know? Yeah, but the people that know that are often the people that would do something heroic if there was a fire. He'd go and jump in and, like, save a dog. Whereas I'd be screaming around, running in a circle, rocking back and forth outside. And they repair stuff with (laughs) duct tape while we're looking for the duct tape. Yeah. 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 Some people are just better adults. Yeah, we're not not that great (laughs) at adulting. Anyway. Anyway, back to this uh, reddish ooze. The oozing coolers. These oozing coolers and the fact that it's red liquid spurting out is a little bit of a concern. Just a little bit. 
after looking at what the shipment contained, it said that it contained human body parts. And yes, that's a thing. And it soon proved to be a very expensive leak because when this happens, it does require the intervention of a biohazard team and it needs to be investigated because you're not supposed to transport human body parts without... You know, they're supposed to be in containers that don't break easily just by putting them onto a pallet. Is this like for or- organ donations and stuff like that? Organ transplants? Yeah. yeah. That kind of thing, yeah. But organ transplants, it's they're not shipped. They're uh, escorted by... Have you seen Grey's Anatomy? Yeah, it's usually yeah. like the surgeon and, and a nurse or someone that goes and picks it up and flies it across the country and like hand delivers. Yeah, they're not just stuck in a cooler with some duct tape. Yeah. Duct. I heard you went over the duct. I know what it's called. I'm a grown up. But yeah, it's not screaming professionalism, is it? No, it isn't. And you'd think that maybe some rules are put into place that you can't just like randomly ship human body parts. But apparently it is part of the cargo that does go through an airport quite a lot. It's not never seen. It is often there. Why are they shipping body parts? I'll get into it. All right, tell me. Not long after informing the authorities, as is standard when this type of thing happens, a special agent with the Federal Bureau of Investigation, so the FBI, named Paul Micah Johnson, arrived to inspect the cargo, along with Elizabeth Harton, who was part of the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, so the CDC, and a quarantine officer. When they arrived, saw the size of the cooler, they thought, well, it does seem improbable that an entire body could fit inside these two picnic coolers. So they pried open the lids, and inside were eight human heads wrapped in trash bags sitting in what appeared to be pools of blood. What the fuck? Eight faces, no names. The heads had been shipped by International Biological Incorporated, a Detroit business owned by Arthur Rathburn. Arthur, why are you shipping human heads? It is his job. He owned a company which he it's founded. It's his job. It's his what job. What do you do for a living? I, I know. Ship, I ship human heads. <laughs> Decapitated heads. So he founded his company in 1989 to provide medical seminars and training specimens to the medical profession. So that's why the body parts in a cooler is because they were being donated. What they had been donated to science and he was selling them to research facilities. Okay. Okay. I'm, I'm with him. I get it. All right. Coolers yeah. and duct tape though. Yes. Doesn't sound great, does it? It's not. I mean, I sell stuffs on Vinted sometimes and I pack things better than that. Yeah. And my things don't ooze. No. I think when you have oozy cargo, you need to make sure that is like vac sealed at least. Yeah. I know that it was in a temperature controlled warehouse, but I could just... If they were in pools of blood, they weren't frozen. Surely you'd freeze ahead to transport it. But anyway. I don't know the ins and outs of exports of severed heads, but... It doesn't sound right, does it? <laughs> it, it sounds a bit iffy to me. Arthur Rathburn is now a 63-year-old burly bearded man. 
and his company stored cadavers in a scabby-looking one-story brick warehouse located on a trash-strewn roadway. Rathburn had originally shipped the eight heads to Tel Aviv, and they appeared to be making their return voyage to Detroit because they'd rejected the heads wherever he sent the cargo to. No shit! <laughs> Somebody was like, oh no, you know, they're oozing a bit and they yeah. smell a bit weird. They're in rubbish bins, mm-hmm. you know? Not happy with the quality of this shipment. Please take it back. Where's the bubble wrap? Yeah. So Rathburn would end up like turning up to the warehouse, being like, oh, hi, I'm here to pick up my coolers. Of human heads, you fucking weirdo. Uh, they, they, uh, they contain human heads, uh, but they, apparently they're oozing. It's definitely not blood. That's not blood at all, I swear. And he basically said it was, is it flamidahide? Some of them are? Formaldehyde? Form, 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 yeah, that one. Formal, uh, formaldehyde. The, like, formaldehyde. Formaldehyde. You know, what, what they use in... Yeah, the stuff they use for the yeah. thing. Yeah. For the, what's the <laughs> fuck, what am I trying to say? Oh, embalming, embalming fluid and stuff. Everybody knows we're, we're good. Yeah, to preserve the heads, but they, the fluid would later be tested and it would be blood. It wasn't. It was red for fuck's sake. I mean, yeah. you know, I thought duct tape was duct tape and even I knew that was blood. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So the FBI would end up bringing charges against Rathburn. Nine counts of wire fraud because Rathburn had told his clients that the body parts that he was shipping were not infected with any disease-causing organisms like HIV or hepatitis. Yeah. Which he kind of said, absolutely not. They're not infected with that. But at least one of them was. He also got charged with violating the Department of Transportation regulations by governing the transport of a hazardous material. So, oozing coolers. That law that everybody knows about, that you don't ship your severed heads in a cooler in a rubbish bin bag. You don't. Careless. Careless. Yeah. Absolutely. And then also three counts of making false statements to federal agents about these shipments, so... It's not blood! Yeah. It's it's not blood. (laughs) It's formaldehyde. I bet he didn't know how to say that word. (laughs) so anyway why was this guy shipping containers i'll just give you a brief explanation of the body business in the united states so the united states is an excellent place to be in the body business that the business has been going a long long time hundreds of years but however hundreds of years ago it was actually grave robbers and body snatchers that went and dug up i think we've covered this on one of your stories possibly before I don't know. We're we're pretty morbid. We it, know about stuff, but yeah. Anyway, so the people used to dig up cadavers and kind of give them or sell them to a medical examiner so that they can look at them with their pupils. That's why some very old graves have got like a grill over them. And some people are all like, oh, this is because people thought they were vampires and they were afraid they were going to come back to life. But that's not why. It was to stop body snatchers. From stealing their loved ones and selling them to doctors. Yeah. And, like, the rich would have thicker coffins that were a little bit harder to get in. And, you know, after the police caught wind of body snatchers, they kind of patrolled cemeteries a little bit more. Yeah. You know, this was illegal back then. You weren't allowed to do that. 
I mean, it's still illegal now. Well, yeah, yeah, you know, absolutely. (laughs) Don't snatch bodies. (laughs) Don't do that. By the early 20th century, laws made it so that criminals, psychiatric patients, and those left unclaimed or unidentified at morgues could be used for research. Nice. Which is, I mean, this story is horrible, as you'll see when I get into it more, that I'm, you know, all for, if you want to, if you want to donate your body to science, absolutely, we do need that to move forward with research. But I'm not giving you really good examples as we're going along here. You don't expect to end up chopped up in a cooler oozing. No. That's not what you're signing up for, is it? No. So by 2007, approximately 20,000 human bodies are donated in the US annually. These donations come about directly. So you can bequeath your body to one of these programs that are operated by many universities. And then you may become the, quote, first patient a surgeon operates on. Donations can also be arranged after death through a network of independent firms. Although in such cases, your family may have only a vague notion of where your body will end up. Brokers do business with other brokers who work with funeral homes, crematoriums, and in turn get referrals from hospice centres as well. All of which means that invariably some donated remains end up dismembered, beheaded and shipped around the world for profit. However, you cannot legally sell a dead body, yours or anyone else's. So how do these people make their money? What's the point in doing this business? These brokers instead turn a profit off a corpse by charging for the service. So not the actual goods themselves, their fees cover the preparation of the, quote, cadavic material. You're paying for the bin bag. Yeah, you're paying for someone, if you want an arm, you're paying for the person to cut off the arm and send it to you. Yeah, it's a loophole. It's a loophole. So you're also paying for the matching and placing of remains. And these are reallocation fees that were once designed to simply cover the costs of transporting the remains to and from the medical schools. Whilst today, a whole human cadaver can be broken down, parted out, for as much as $100,000 each. Jesus. So if you broke, break a human down to heads, arms, and head, and, and everything, you can... And legs. Uh, yeah. That's you what can, comes uh, after. Yeah. You can sell it up to one 100000 So a body, whole body, is worth less than if you part everything out. Well, because it's more work and you need more bin bags. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Plastic is expensive. It is? Yeah. So body parts are... Not very good for the environment either. To be no, they're not. Body parts are funneled to a wide range of researchers. Anesthesiologists learning how to perform epidurals and sonograms. Private firms training customers how to install dental implants. Pharmaceutical companies. So with the body trading business, small businesses have come to dominate the trade over the last 15 years. And the rapid influx of like the need and the research on human cadavers has turned the market into a bustling billion-dollar industry. In some ways, it crystallizes American business and capitalism. This is a quote. That isn't me saying that. Uh, who says this? 
Somebody said it, it's fine. Somebody said it, and I'm an idiot that didn't put who said that. No other country apart from America is like their whole legal trade in human cadavers. It just doesn't really happen. That's so weird. Yeah, you can donate your body to science in France and whatever, but it isn't like a big mega business behind it. Unfortunately, which is contradictory to what a lot of people may have think, there aren't actually many rules in place for something as important and insensitive as human body parts. Yeah. There isn't actually many rules and regulations, and it's not really... Like, when you think of something medical, the minute you do anything wrong, people are on you with lawyers and you can get sued. And, and I know that it's true with live people, but still, these are dead people. The, these are people's loved ones, people that have battled cancer, people yeah, that... Yeah, there should be a minimum yeah. of respect when you're handling corpses. Absolutely. Even if they are donated to science, they were still people. Yeah. yeah, I mean, a lot of it is the people that wanted to organ donate but because there are you know people that have battled cancer or have degenerative diseases like alzheimer's motor neuron disease prion disease the list goes on those people can't donate their organs for transplant yeah but they can donate it to science which is something i absolutely agree with without these donations many types of biomedical research would grind to a halt I mean, in France, we, and it's not quite the same, but in France, we have an opt-out organ donor policy, which is instead of signing up for organ donation, you actually have to physically go onto the government website and sign out of it. Oh, yeah, we're we're all just uh, walking organ transplant. And that's fine. Yeah. You know? Yeah, which is fine. But obviously, the family has the last say. Yeah. Which is, is, is why it's important that you should... Um, have a very quick discussion with your family members to say, hey, donate my organs, please. You, you're not going to need them anyway. You get, you're dead. You're not going to need yeah. them. The funeral home can stuff me through of feathers or something. It's fine. You wouldn't know. I'll probably look thinner. <laughs> <laughs> like I said earlier, it's shocking to learn how little federal oversight there is for these so-called non-transplant atomical donations. The people that are donated their body to science are not organ donation. Which brings me back to the Biological Resource Centre of Illinois run by Rathburn, the guy from earlier. He sounds like a dodgy fucker. He is a dodgy fucker, but he's not the only one. But we'll we'll see. This is his centre that he runs. So the company that he owned, the company's literature offered an attractive package on their website. That included its own funeral staff who would cremate and return a donor's remains within 30 days at no cost. The office file cabinets contained numerous thank you notes and donors could choose to have their name or their loved one's name engraved on a stone in a memorial garden outside of the facility. The company's website emphasised the importance of respecting donors who made the selfless decision to donate their body to science. In late 2013, Linda Hayes searched for a suitable place in Chicago to donate her husband's, Tom's, body. And the Biological Resource Centre appeared to be a fitting and secure option. Linda and Tom had met in high school during the 1970s and had settled into the Chicago suburbs. Tom, however, had type 1 diabetes, which took a toll on his body. Despite having a kidney transplant and living with heart disease, 
And then also Tom had also survived an amputation due to complications from his diabetes. And he'd also had several strokes by the age of 56. He was still going strong. However, when Tom decided to donate his body to science, his wife said that the decision seemed to give him a new sense of purpose after his last test results from his illness showed that he was going to pass away soon, that he didn't have a long to live. Yeah. So the fact that he could donate his body made him feel better. Yeah. And he said to his wife, maybe it'll help somebody in his position later down the road. Yeah, fair play. Yeah, so Tom's body was supposed to go off be used as a cadaver for whatever science experiment, then come back, be cremated, and then his remains would be given to his wife. Yeah. That's the understanding of what was supposed to happen. Yeah. Instead, Tom ended up being one of the heads inside that cooler. Oh, my God. Can you imagine finding that out? That your husband's head was in a cooler with six others in an airport. Seven others, yeah. Yeah, so there were seven, was it seven altogether? It was eight altogether, I think. Oh, was it eight? Oh, God, I can't remember. So, yeah, it was horrific. Poor lady. I would be, oh, I can't even imagine. I'd be absolutely livid. You just think of your loved one. You think, this is not what they wanted. This is not what they were expecting. absolutely not. I understand that they can't tell you everything that happens. But that is so disrespectful. Hmm. FBI agents were eventually able to trace 250 body parts purchased by Rathburn back to a man called Stephen Gore. He's called Stephen Gore? Yes. He's in the right fucking business, isn't he? (laughs) Absolutely. It was Stephen's story that I'm about to tell you in a minute that I stumbled upon first. And I was like, no, that's not his real name. I thought it was a nickname given by the papers. But no, that's his real name. So. Rathborn had bought bodies and body parts from this guy, Stephen Gore. He then rented and sold them for medical training at conventions and seminars, but he also secretly sold body parts from clients that he'd been paid to cremate. So, yeah, he was supposed to give all the cremated reins back to Tom's wife, but he didn't. He just made more money by selling other body parts. So, what? So, she got some ashes... She got some of him, but not all of him. Right, okay. But also, not always, because some families of the deceased who asked for the cremated remains to be returned sometimes actually got something or someone else. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. They were just giving yeah. them just random ashes. Because you're not... How are yeah. you going to know? You don't know. No, it could have been a mix of people. It could have been anything. That's horrendous. Horrific, isn't it? Awful. And we're not gotten to, I mean, this is bad. We haven't got to the worst bit. Great. Can't wait. <laughs> this eventually brought the FBI to raid the Biological Resource Center run by Stephen Gore as well. So Gore operated the resource center from 2004 until this raid in 2014. The company was housed in a 9,000 square foot building near the Phoenix airport. Gore seemed to go one step further with the horrific, complete disregard for the wishes of the people that had donated their bodies to science because he was just horrific. This is a story from a guy called Jim Stauffer. So Jim Stauffer contacted Stephen Gore's company after his mother passed away from Alzheimer's disease and he was assured by 
Gore's company that her body would be used for Alzheimer's research. Gore then sold Doris's body to the Department of Defense for weapons testing. Jesus Christ. So, bless her. I'd say trigger warning, but this is bad already so far. So yeah, the Department of Defense strapped her body to a chair where the military put a an explosive device under the chair and then blew it up. Before sending her body away, Gore removed her hands, which were cremated and sent back to the family. The Department of Defense, however, told the FBI and gave them a copy of the heavily redacted forms, the consent forms that they said Gore gave them, which showed the permission for them to use their bodies for testing. Except for he kind of redacted all the parts out that said, actually, no, we only want this body used for scientific research. Also, like, not knocking the military here, but if you put an explosive device under somebody's body and then make it explode, what the fuck do you expect is going to happen? I don't understand why the fuck. It reminds me of, have you ever, did you ever, like, have a kid at your school that would, like, pull wings off a fly or like torture frogs or whatever yeah Yeah, the kid the frog torturing kid yeah 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 this is what i I swear those kids just all go and work in the fucking military because why you'll get the results you need off a crash test dummy you don't need to put a real person there a handless old woman yeah yes um we're gonna loads of them in the military and we're gonna blow her up what it was i think is 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 to see how much she blew up? I don't know if it was like a vi- no. I think it was like a car bomb in a vehicle. I think that was a type of chair that she was in. So whether they were trying to bomb-proof their cars or something like that, but still, I don't understand why you need a real body there. But <sighs> you know, but yeah, Gore sold her body without permission. So Gore's a piece of shit. He is. So the FBI raided his resource center. So the FBI have got to this guy all from the leaking heads at the airport, yeah? Yeah, because right. uh, one of the at least one of the heads was supplied by this Stephen Gore guy. Right, okay, this is how they've got to Mr. Gore. Yeah, so during the raid of Mr. Gore's place of work, the agents that were present said that it resembled a horror show. Well, yeah, I can imagine. When the FBI raided the warehouse in 2014, some even needed trauma therapy because the the things that they saw in there were so disturbing and graphic. Oh, fuck. What's coming? Agents who raided the facility noticed body fluids on the floor, chainsaws and hacksaws that had been used to dismember the bodies, some recalling a table stacked with severed human legs. Jesus. Former Phoenix FBI Special Agent Mark... Oh, I have no idea how to um, pronounce that. I'm sorry. Anyway, Mark saw what he described to be something out of Frankenstein's monster. He saw a large man's body where a small woman's head had been attached onto. What the fuck are they doing? Why? Why? What's the point in that? What's the point in that? So they cut this guy's head off and stuck a small woman's head on top of it instead? Why? Apart from being a sick fuck, what's the point? Nothing, apart from being a sick fuck. 
Jesus There were also large male torsos, missing limbs and genitalia, various heads and body parts in the freezers, buckets and coolers, and body parts just piled up throughout the office with no tags or identification. Right. Right, here's one which I'm not sure because I've had kind of... Some people say it was there and then I've had more reliable sources and they didn't mention this at all. But apparently, like, on the wall on the back of one of these freezer or cooler places was a man's body and where his genitals would be, they put a woman's... I don't know if it's a woman's head facing as if, like, you know, a woman's head where the man's penis would be. Uh, as if she was giving him... Uh, yeah, exactly. Oh, the, fucking Jesus Christ! Or that it was a woman's vagina that had been put there in the place of the man's penis as like a trophy thing. So I don't know if that's true because like I say, it was on sources that I wasn't too sure about. Right, so either way... Either way, that's horrific. They've definitely swapped somebody's heads. Yeah, the head swapping, that's true because that was one of the... Right, so FBI they're fucked up enough agents. to do that. So I'm pretty sure the other thing is true because yeah, horrific. You know, if you're that fucked up, why the fuck not? Is this guy Ed Gein? Seriously? Yeah, he sounded like enjoying. And then there were like in the offices, like penises in jars and like little trophy bits, loads of penises everywhere. Fucking! Uh, this guy is a psychopath, and he's got himself the. The job where he the can best just... job in the world for him. Yeah, yeah. That he can just let his sordid, sick mind run free, isn't it? Yeah. So some, obviously, I don't blame them. Some of the agents refuse to go back in to the yeah. scene after seeing that shite. Yeah. I mean, I've heard about it, and I wish I hadn't. So. Yeah, so they went through all the paperwork in the office and they would eventually uncover at least 23 people where they found the paperwork proving. I mean, this it probably happened to way more people, that, but they didn't have the paperwork to prove. But they found the paperwork proving that the family of the deceased only ticked for scientific research, medical research, and he'd gone and sold them to the Department of Defence. So one of these people was a guy called Steve Hansen who had wanted to donate his body, donate his organs, but because he died of necrosis of the liver, but because of alcoholism, yeah, he couldn't donate his body. So his um, he couldn't donate his organs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He couldn't donate his organs. Sorry. While he was in the hospice, his wife Jill was speaking to the hospice workers, and they said that maybe she should donate his body to science if he if he can't do organ donation. And she just thought, well, yeah, what a great candidate for them to learn about the results of alcoholism and what it does to the body. That'd be perfect for people that are studying that. So she donated his body to Stephen Gore's facility, who again sold his body to the Department of Defense without permission. And Steve's body would essentially be used as a crash test dummy in a simulated, I don't know how to pronounce it, Humvee explosion, Humvee, H-U-M-V-E-E. Humvee? Humvee explosion. It probably is pronounced completely different to that. I'm assuming it was like a bomb, like a proper bomb explosion. And this resulted in the complete mutilation and desecration of the donor's body. That was in the military report. Again, what the fuck is the military doing with, like, real bodies? But anyway, 
I feel like, yeah, it's unnecessary. Yeah, I feel like the military, are, I mean, I'm sure there's reasons behind it, but I'm sure they could get the same results from a fake body. So the relatives of the 23 people whose remains were donated wrongly to the military have found a civil lawsuit against Stephen Gore. Rightly fucking so. Yeah, for mishandling their deceased loved ones and misled them on what they're going to be used for. The lawsuit alleges that the facility committed fraud by claiming the donated bodies would be used for medical research when in at least two cases it knew the remains were sold for destructive military testing. The lawsuit also alleges that the donator families who were promised the cremated remains of relatives were received in boxes with what they thought were their loved ones, but then they later discovered that the bodies were sold to third parties or whether were still in the facility. They're seeking unspecified damages, so I don't have any details on how their civil case went. So they got cremated remains. They got random remains. Yeah, random remains because their loved one's body was ended up found in the facility. So company owner Stephen Gore pleaded guilty in October 2015 to a felony charge for his role in mishandling donated body parts. Though Gore has denied the allegations in the lawsuit, he acknowledged when pleading guilty that his company provided vendors with human tissue that was contaminated uh, because he also did the same as Rathburn and started selling things that had disease they shouldn't have. Yeah. He also used the donations in ways that went against the wishes of the donors. In the letter to the sentencing judge, Gore said that he should have been more involved with the supervision of his employees and could have been more open about the donation process on his company's brochure. What a fucking cop-out. That just sounds like he's not taking responsibility for being a fucking psycho. Not at all. I don't know what my employees did, and maybe it wasn't clear, you know, the small print. Oh, fuck off. Yeah. Well, with this, I, cause you, can be, you can be charged with mishandling a corpse, can't you? If you come across a dead body... And be like, oh, I'm gonna go and bury this. You can't do that. You can be, you can be charged. So I thought he was gonna be done for that, but because he's a in the body business, in the body business, the law is very, very blurry. And he actually only ended up sentenced to a year in prison and four years on parole. That's all he got for all of that. A year, a year in prison. And four years on parole, so he's already out, because this was back in 2015. Oh, great. Yes, he's already out. Probably back in the business. That's marvellous. Yeah. So, a body broker bill was introduced in 2022, so that's fucking seven years after this, which would see regulations on body donation federalised, this is on my last uh, source. There was not currently a date for the vote. So that was last year when this source was, was written out. The yeah. date for that wasn't currently set. So I'll have to look into that, see if, uh, see if and when that has been voted in so that it's a little bit more. If you're not doing your job in the body business, you can actually be criminally prosecuted a lot easier. Well, yeah. Because, you know, while the people are gone, they're, they're, you know, they've passed away. 
it's still their body. And even though they've gone, they've left it. You don't want people... You don't want people messing with your family members. Yeah, exactly. They've gone thinking they're doing something good to help science and the medical field. And they're getting just... uh, I don't know what the word is. Desecrated? Is that well, the right word? Or just completely shat on, basically. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> By absolutely fucking psychos like this man. No conscience, no respect. No, absolutely no. It's a very sensitive business. Absolutely. For me, it's people's loved ones, it's people that yeah. have passed on. It's people, end it's of. People. It's people, it's people. Yeah. Anyway, so while the body donation industry is definitely needed, and I'm absolutely for it. It needs to be regulated. Yeah, it needs to be regulated. And there's a lot of work left to do if they're going to regain public trust. And that's it. Wow. Yeah. So, yeah, Rathburn as well. He didn't get any prison time, I don't think, either. Just got a bit of a smack on the hand. Yeah, slap on the wrist. Don't do that again. Wrap your severed heads better. No, his business, I think, was shut down, though. uh, Same with Gauze. It was was closed down. But that's about it. You know, a year in prison. I'm sure we got out quicker than than that. But, yeah, all those people. That's terrible. Yeah. That is awful. Yeah. Well, thanks for that, Bex. Shall we stick a trailer in here? I think we do. Let's... uh, Go and wash our ears out while the trailer plays. Ooh, I've been dying to try this place. Oh my god, me too. I've heard such good things about it. Welcome to the Crime Diner. I'm Cindy. I'll be cooking for you this evening. Here are your menus. Ooh, what are you thinking about getting? I don't know, murder with a side of cannibalism? What about you? Ooh, that sounds good. I'm torn between historical mayhem and the social injustice, maybe? Oh. I just want to let you know that each episode comes with dinner, dessert, and a specialty drink chosen by yours truly. Wine Dine and Storytime has had a makeover, and we invite you to slide into the booth with us at the Crime Diner, where each week we will discuss a crime over dinner, drinks, and dessert. See you there! Anyway, would you like a ghost story? I think I'm going to need one to get over that. And you know, (laughs) it's not as similar as we did last week, but... I'm talking about the military this week, which is oh, odd. <laughs> it's weird. We're not doing this on purpose. We genuinely have no idea what the other one is doing week to week. No. So I'm going to talk about somewhere in Afghanistan called OP Rock. Now, when you think of the type of people that would be the least likely to believe or get spooked by the paranormal, what kind of people come to mind? I bet the military was one of your ideas, right? Well, yeah. You wouldn't think a soldier would get freaked out by Casper. No. The friendly ghost. No. Well, that's what makes my story this week so scary, as it's about a group of US Marines who lived through a haunting in Afghanistan. 
The group of nine Marines were posted at a place called OP Rock, so OP stands for Observation Point. These are strategic places often on high ground where groups of soldiers can observe their surroundings and report back to main base. All right. The Marines that were sent to OP Rock were led by Sergeant Green and included Lance Corporal Lena, who was second in command, Lance Corporal Zolik, Lance Corporal Wilson, Lance Corporal Smith, Lance Corporal Hoyt, and Lance Corporal Diggs. Oh, and Lance Corporal Parker and Sergeant Brown. Okay, I won't remember all that, but thank you. No, that was who was there. Yeah, they deserve to be read out. They'd been sent in June of 2009 when the US and NATO had been sent to Afghanistan to fight the Taliban. Upon their arrival at the OP, they were met by Welsh troops who had been there for three months and seemed very happy to be leaving. Now, usually, when there was a swap like this, they would have taken the time to show the Marines around, showing them the layout, telling them where the most dangerous parts of the OP was. But instead, the tired-looking Welsh just said, if you dig anything up, put it back. Ooh. They also introduced them to a dog who had taken up residence at OP Rock that had been named Ugly Betty. They asked the Marines to look after her, which of course wasn't an issue, and then they left. The OP was basically just a big pile of dirt that had been built on an old tumble-down fortress. That's the thing about Afghanistan. It's seat with history, going all the way back to Alexander the Great. But as the country has been so war-torn, any historical monuments have mostly been used as military resources. OP Rock overlooked fields of poppies and stood around 30 feet high. It had very little amenities, no beds or anything, the soldiers just slept on floor mats, and had a few tent-like covers to protect them from the elements. But all in all, it sounds like a shithole. Yeah. Yeah, not somewhere you would want to be for 60 days. Oh, no. And yet, that's exactly what their mission was. They made themselves at home and quickly enough they realised that OP Rock had a very eerie feeling about it. But again, being military, no one said anything and they just all put it to the back of their minds. On their first night there, Lance Corporal Lena was to stand watch overnight in the guard tower. The only thing he had, apart from his weapons, obviously, was the radio to the main base, in case he spotted any imminent danger. Now, at some point during the night, the radio started to crackle. At first, Lance Corporal Lena ignored it, but then he began to hear what sounded like a voice. And then the noise intensified. He was sure of it, there was definitely a voice coming through, speaking in Russian by the sound of it. Because this was a military radio, so it's not just like a normal walkie-talkie, there's no way that it could have been picking up another random signal. It's literally just linked to the main base. So he decided to check and asked the base if they had opened the lines of communication with him. No, came the reply. Nothing had been sent to OP Rock. The radio continued to crackle and strange voices came through for the rest of the night. Lena just put it down to maybe a faulty radio and so when one of the other marines came to take his place, he warned him that the radio was playing up. On that second day, something was blatantly wrong with OP Rock. The trenches weren't deep enough. 
It wasn't safe as the Marines walked about. They were like sitting ducks for an enemy sniper. And so they decided to dig the trenches wider and deeper. They couldn't understand why the Welsh hadn't done it. So they started to dig. And as they dug, Lance Corporal Lena found a metal stake with a Russian inscription on it. That made sense as the Russians had been deployed there during the 80s. But his colleagues had found a sort of hole whilst digging. And as they stuck their hands in, they began pulling out bits of pottery and other objects. They felt more like archaeologists than marines at this point. <laughs> Sorry. I'll just imagine be like, oh, look at the pottery from the, from this time. And <laughs> yeah. But the guy did say to put everything back, so I hope they do. And then Corporal Wilson pulled out a whole human femur. Ooh, not the femur. They all decided just to put it back and Good. to keep digging. However, no matter where they dug, they were finding piles and piles of bones. There were skeletons everywhere. It now became very clear why the Welsh had not dug the trenches more deeply. On the 13th night, Lance Corporal Hoyt was on guard duty, and he had a very uneasy feeling, as though he was being watched. He then heard a blood-curdling scream. He thought it must be one of his team, but a quick tot-up of heads made it clear that it wasn't. They were all there. Although, granted, they had heard the scream as well, so they weren't asleep anymore. Hoyt looked through his night vision binoculars and he saw a man running a few hundred metres away. So he shouts to the others that there is what he suspects to be a Taliban not far. Lance Corporal Lena grabbed his thermal scope, which picks up on heat sources, so he would very easily find a human body, even if it was hidden in the brush. But he saw nothing. Lena couldn't find the man again with his night vision either. But Ugly Betty was barking, hackles raised in the direction that he had first seen the man. The men stayed on high alert all night, but nothing else happened. And so it was just put down to human error. Not quite sure how that explains the scream, but still. Yeah, all the freaked out dog. Well, yeah. On night 26, it was Lance Corporal Zolik's turn to stand guard. The nights in Afghanistan are uncomfortable. It's very hot, and he remembered thinking how unpleasant the heat was, until he felt an icy blast right next to him. It made him cold, which he hadn't been at all since being there. He then heard whispering, not through the radio, this time directly in his ear. Then came the footsteps as if someone was walking along the top of the OP. He thought it must be Lance Corporal Smith playing a prank on him. But as he went to check, there was no one there. Now feeling very uneasy, he looked through his thermal scope to see if anyone was out there, and to his shock, he sees a man looking directly at him, fists raised. In a panic, he looked away from the scope for a second, and when he looked up again, the man was gone. The whispering and footsteps continued all throughout the night. He put it down to exhaustion and stress. And fearing for his own sanity, he asked to be reassigned elsewhere, which was granted, but did not please his fellow Marines, who were now one man down, and said he was playing the crazy card to get out of this place where none of them wanted to be. A few days later, Corporal Lena was in the guard tower again, 
and he heard ugly Betty start to bark. So he grabbed his night vision goggles to see if anyone was there, and he saw a figure standing a few hundred metres away. He grabbed his thermal scope before shooting, as he fully thought it was a Taliban scout, only to see that no one was there. He got his night vision goggles again to double check, and the figure was now extremely close to him. It had moved at an impossible pace. No human could have moved so fast. Now panicked, he looked through his thermal scope and again, nothing. No human body that produces heat was out there. He's completely freaked out by this now, but he was very quickly reassured when he felt the signature double tap on his shoulder that the sergeant would always give before speaking. He turned around to explain what had just happened, but Sergeant Green wasn't there. In fact, when he checked, all of his colleagues were still fast asleep. At this point, Lena begins to realise that that they may have been too hard on Zolik, as he obviously had experienced something and wasn't making anything up. Over the next 10 days, Hoyt, Smith and Wilson all had very similar experiences. The day before leaving, so on day 59, there was a feeling of relief amongst the Marines. Soon they would get picked up and leave this godforsaken pile of dirt. Lena noticed that the radio had died, so he got Lance Corporal Diggs to have a look at it as he was their comms guy. He fixed it with a brand new battery, but as soon as he turned to leave, Lena said, hey, it's just died again. And this would happen over and over until they were all out of batteries. There was no explanation. Diggs couldn't find anything wrong with the radio, and yet it just kept breaking. That night, Lance Corporal Wilson was standing guard and out of nowhere, he was bombarded with the noise of a machine gun. Everyone hears it and gets into position knowing that they're now under severe and very close attack from the Taliban. Lena shouted up to Wilson to know where it was coming from, but Wilson had no idea. It was everywhere, but he couldn't see anything. Then they both heard the whistle of an RPG, so that's a rocket-propelled grenade. They brace for impact and are pretty sure that this is the end for them. They hear the impact, the explosion, but no one is hurt, and nothing seems damaged. The machine gun fire had been constant, but just as suddenly as it had started, it stopped. They obviously don't just shrug it off. They wait hours expecting another attack, but nothing ever comes. Then they decide to go and inspect the damage. After all, there should be bullet holes everywhere. They find nothing. The troops were finally picked up and they were packed up and ready to go in less than five minutes. The driver asked them, did you see any ghosts? It's really haunted there. (laughs) (laughs) You couldn't have told me that before. (laughs) Yeah, cheers, pal. They finally knew the truth about OP Rock and began to understand why it was so rife with paranormal occurrences. It had once been conquered by the locals who got massacred by the Russians The Russians were then all executed by beheading by the Taliban and then eventually the Marines had launched a missile at Opie Rock, killing the Taliban and burying them on sight. So you see, the OP was actually nothing else but a graveyard from generations of horrendous death and war. The Marines thought they had left the hauntings behind once they left but Lance Corporal Lena believes that by digging they unleashed a curse that followed them. 
Lance Corporal Smith was killed by a rogue bullet on a secure base. The chance of this happening are about the same as getting struck by lightning. God. Lance Corporal Diggs died in an IED blast. That's an improvised explosive device. Sergeant Green was terribly disfigured by an IED blast. Lance Corporal Parker was killed whilst on patrol. That's a lot of them gone, isn't it? Yeah. Dear. You know the one that said that he felt he felt a bit that he was losing his mind a bit and then went away. Did he leave the site or did he just get moved to not watching that night? No, he um he got reassigned elsewhere. He left OP. All right, okay, that's what I, I thought. I wasn't sure. Yeah, that's why everybody was so pissed off because like yeah, none he of gets them to wants leave. to be yeah. there. Well, it sounds like ghost or no ghost it sounds like a nightmare i'd be scared in the open blooming desert just with it like a pile of yeah like in a ruin having sleep on the floor and make sure no one's coming to shoot you it's terrifying well exactly they would they would never know if they were being watched if a sniper had them you know in his vision at any given time it was a very stressful, horrible place to be anyway. But then they got to see a load of ghosts. And yeah, they went through what seems like some kind of residual ambush. They were all convinced they were going to die. Yeah, and they all saw it at the same time. It's not like one person saw it and that was it. No, no, no. They all lived through it. They were convinced they were being attacked and they weren't. There was nothing there. And the whole Final Destination shit at the end where everyone gradually gets picked off or disfigured in yeah. some way. That's horrific. Well, exactly. In the um, in the program that I watched where I got the story, that's exactly what he said. He said it's like some kind of Final Destination and I just hope that this curse doesn't uh, get me. So I think there was three of them that, without ca- counting Zolik, who left, I think there was only three of them left. Yeah. So, yeah. OP Rock. Wow. Never heard of that story. No, I, neither had I. I thought it was quite interesting. It was very interesting and, and scary as well. So I can't go anywhere now. <laughs> <laughs> I can't go in the desert and not be scared. I can't go in a haunted house. Well, haunted house, I knew that. I, I but... mean, I wouldn't recommend Afghanistan anyway, babe, to be fair. Well, no, well, probably not at the minute. I've been to the, I know it's not the same, but I've been to the Moroccan desert. But in the day, so it was fine. But being in the desert at night, I think I'd still be scared. Because it's like a big, wide open space. This wasn't in the desert. They were like overlooking poppy fields and stuff. It wasn't like oh, just right. sand and dirt. Oh, it's because it said it was like a dirt mound. I just assumed it was like yeah. a ruin. And I think because of the whole ghosty part, my brain also went to a little bit, a bit like the mummy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I just found it really compelling that there was nine of them and they all saw the same thing. And these are Marines, right? These are big, tough guys. Yeah. They ain't afraid of no ghosts. No, but they were that time. They weren't impressed. Yeah, Well, because what do you do? They've got every weapon under the sun, but what do you do against a ghost? Well, there's not much you can do, is there? No, absolutely nothing. Oh, thanks for that. No problem. It was short because I knew yours was long. Yeah, well... There we are. Teamwork. Makes a dream work. Yeah. Have you got a song? It's a good one. I'm proud of this. Go on then. A year has passed. Another year gone. Your time on earth relentlessly moves on. 
The day arrives with dread and sorrow. Another year of life, another year of pain. Another year closer to the end of the game. A reminder of the years lost and gone and the inevitable end that we cannot prolong. With every candle blown, a memory dies, and we're left with nothing but goodbyes. Whoa, I know what it is. I think a lot of people do, but I was really happy with that. So That was so clever. Well done. Beautifully written. Thank you. You're quite poetic, aren't you? Maybe. Only when I can be bothered. But yeah, <laughs> what do you guys think? Send us your messages, please. Indeed. Right, should we wrap it up? Mm-hmm. You can find us on all social media, so Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. TikTok and YouTube. TikTok and YouTube. So most of those were under SCSK underscore podcast. Except apart for from Facebook. Facebook. And YouTube. YouTube. Yeah, That's right. just under Spine Chillers and Serial Killers. And don't get excited on YouTube. It literally is just the audio from the podcast. It's not like watching us on video or anything like that. We're not there yet, guys. We are not there yet. No. Soon. Maybe. Hopefully. One day. But Give not us yet. some love and maybe we will. <laughs> yeah. Hey, we've got 28 sus- subscribers, Becky. 28 on youtube on youtube tiktok you can see our faces if you want on tiktok we're all on there being stupid and shit yeah yeah and we sometimes share what we post there on our other social media as well yeah and if you have any suggestions which i do have some suggestions in the emails on cases and i've given you loads and you've given me some as well from social media so i'll start doing those suggestions and email us that email we had to begin with i've forgotten the lady's name what was she called shalanda shalanda be like shalanda and send us an email because that was amazing thanks so much for that that email was epic it It was was a good one it was very well written if you're worried about how you write out emails and you feel that it's not going to make sense it's fine. I can always read it in a way which it will make sense. Don't worry. Just send me stories. Send us your stuff in. An email address would probably help with that. Yeah, that's the way it works. So <laughs> <laughs> the email address is chillers.killers.pod at gmail.com. That's the one. All right, then. Yes. Thanks for listening. Stay safe. Don't kill people. And keep it weird. Bye. So I'm just gonna burp, but it's like brewing. I can. I had a really spicy dinner. <clears throat> Always a good idea before doing a podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. So you can bequeath your body to... Did you say bequeath? Yeah. Is it bequeath? Bequeath. Oh, you. No, yeah, I'm just... That's a fancy word. It is, isn't it? You can donate your body. Bequeath. No, you can say say bequeath. I I think if I'm going to bequeath, I'll bequeath. (laughs) You bequeath, bequeath, my love. (laughs) Thank you.
I will be quick.